Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Lord, your presence and your power is here, Lord Jesus. Lord, to do a work that you want to do. Lord, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, as I bring your word, Lord Jesus, that these would be your words, Lord, and not mine. That, Lord, you would help me, Lord, to bring your word, Lord, as you want it to be brought, Lord Jesus. May you have your will and your way in this place tonight. May you instruct, may you guide, may you lead, Lord. May you draw us closer to you, Lord, through your word tonight, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the people most at risk in the church. The people most at risk in the church. Now, we know that people who are in sin um, in the church and who are deliberately sinning, they're always going to be at risk, but that is something that is a choice that they have made. And they are definitely at risk of losing their salvation, absolutely, if they continue down their path. But I want to focus more on people who may believe that they're doing the right thing or believe that they're doing what they need to do, but perhaps are deceived by their own way of thinking or by what Satan might put into their heads and in their minds. You see, there are two types of people that are most at risk in the church. The first one are those that leave the church and either think they can continue to follow Jesus on their own or think that moving to a different church will solve all of their problems. That's the first one. We'll get into the second one a bit later. Around Easter, we bought a couple of rabbits. Um, at the time, uh, the guy who sold them to us said that they were both female rabbits, and which was a good thing. We didn't want any little baby rabbits coming around, um, running around. And so I was happy with that. However, it turned out that one of them was not a female rabbit, and the other one was. I would have been happier if both had been males. Um, so we actually have had two litters of rabbits I'm not sure if that's the correct terminology and with the second litter there was a, a couple of things that happened see when rabbits are very very small they cuddle to each other for warmth. They are protected by the warmth that each other gives gives off. And the mother rabbit isn't there um, right next to them. The mother rabbit's elsewhere. And you can go into the reason why that is um, and, and study that out, or the way that, that rabbits um, live. But the rabbits are there and they're safe and they're protected. What happened is that one of the rabbits had wormed its way, weaseled its way outside of the protective covering of the other baby rabbits. And it was quite cold in the morning. And Natalie was able to revive it, which was good, and so it was put back with the others. However, the next night, there were two rabbits, two baby rabbits, that had gone off and on their own once again, not with each other, but completely separate. And they both didn't survive. There are parallels between the rabbits and the people in the church. You see, when we are close to our brothers and our sisters, when we are in the church, when we are fellowshipping with our brothers and our sisters in the church, then there's a protective covering. There's the warmth that we need. There's the fellowship that we need. There's the nourishment that we need to survive this world. And, 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 and what it would try to do to us. But if we get drawn away on our own, then there's danger, there's death, there's things that will happen that will take us further and further away from God and it will be to our detriment. 
You see, those that leave the church and either think they can continue to follow Jesus on their own or think that moving to a different church will solve all of their problems is often due to clashes or disagreements with church leadership or other saints in the church. And sometimes it's due to real hurts that they find difficult to forgive. Leaving the church is a dangerous place to be in. You lose the fellowship and the support of the saints. You become like the little baby rabbits that wander off on their own without really knowing what they are doing. And those that choose to move to a different church because of a particular problem or issue will almost always find that the same problem or issue rears itself in the other church. You see, when you run from your issues and your problems with church leadership, with saints, with whatever's going on, instead of letting Jesus deal with the root causes behind those issues, you start a process of running that leads in a downward spiral. Because you find it in that other church, and you have to leave that church. You keep going, keep going further and further away from where God actually wants you to be. You don't ever put down deep roots in any church, because the same issues come out again and again and again, and you don't allow Jesus to change you, which is what needs to happen and what he wants to do in you. Eventually, the roots become so shallow that you dry up and are never seen again. That's the danger of running. The only way forward is facing the issues, no matter how hard they are, and letting Jesus heal the hurts, heal the situation, heal your broken, wounded spirit. For anyone who has had enough of the situations they are facing in the church and is seriously considering either leaving or moving, have a think about this. God has placed you in this church, this specific and this particular church for a reason. You may think that you made the choice to come yourself, and you would be wrong. Because God has a way of orchestrating the times and situations that caused you to consider coming here in the first place. God has literally planted you here in this body of saints. Not because he hates you, but because he has a purpose and a plan for you to be here. He wants you and is trying to make you a spiritually powerful member of this church. Not just any church, but this church. And if you're going through something at the moment, it's because he is preparing you for that higher purpose where he will be able to powerfully bless others in the church through you. But you don't get to reach that full potential if you quit, if you leave, or if you run away. A lot of people wonder what they could possibly do that would be a blessing to the whole church. A lot of people have issues with self-esteem. Not many people think that they're God's gift to humanity. That's a whole set of different issues that still needs to be addressed. But just like, and we'll get to that in, in the time past, in, in, in the next section, but everybody has a special purpose. God has created everybody in a specific way. He has not made anything that's faulty or wrong or, or anything that is useless or worthless. He's created us for a purpose, for this time, for this church. God has a special purpose for everybody here. Something that you can do that is incredible. And what God sees is you as the finished product. Not where you're at now, but he's saying, I see where you can be. I see where I want you to be. I am making you. I am working towards making you where you want, where I want you to be. He knows what the final version is going to be, the final finished product. He knows where he is taking you. You just need to stick in there. You see, God rarely reveals his end plan for you, to you. It's very, very rare that he does that. He usually takes you one step and he says, this is where I want you to go. And when you get there, he says, okay, I want you to 
take this other step. I want you to move this way. I want you to walk a little bit higher, get a little bit closer. It's a progress. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending process, really, as God makes us more and more like Him and makes us more and more fit for what He wants to do in our lives to bless the church. But He's always working in the background, coordinating things so that you can reach the place where He will be able to mightily use you in a spiritual way. But if you quit, you will never get there. If you run, you keep delaying your victory and you may never get there until you learn to stop running. The only way is to stand and face your situations and allow God to change you through them. Not necessarily the other person, but you. What does the Bible say about this? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We need to get the basics right first. We need to make sure that we are saved. Then let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Don't go from here to there. Don't run off to a different church. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged by whatever is going on around you. For he is faithful that promise. If he's given you a promise, hold on to it. And know that he is going to make a way from where you are right now to where he has promised. If you stay faithful. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We're not going to do it alone. We're not going to do it by leaving the church. We're not going to do it without the other saints. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a great need for us to be in the house of God. There's a great need for us to be with our brothers and sisters. We all encourage each other, whether we realize it or not. Just being in the house of God, just being in the church encourages everyone else. They're still coming. They're still walking with God. I know they've got problems. I know they've got issues, but they're still here. They're still faithful. They're still following what God has put in front of them. They're still fighting against the enemy. They're still fighting against their flesh. They're still making the effort to come to church, even though everything isn't perfect in their lives. When you leave or you stop coming to church, you miss out and you lose your faith in God. John chapter 20 and verse 19, this is after Jesus had risen from the dead, all the disciples were gathered together. Well, except one. John 20, 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. They realized that it was really him, that he had really been raised from the dead. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He, he, he gave them peace. He gave them direction. He's saying, I'm going to send you to the lost in this world to bring them to me. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted to them. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He was alone. He was off by himself. I don't know what his reasons were for not being with the other apostles. But he was not with them when Jesus came. He was not gathered with the rest of the disciples. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
And after eight days, again, his disciples were with him and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach here your finger and behold my hands, and reach here your hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And then Thomas believed. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus came to the disciples where they were gathered together. They were together. They were comforting each other. They were um, building each other up in a time that was very difficult. They were, the Bible says they were there for the fear of the Jews. They were hiding for their lives, but they were together. And they were being a blessing to each other. They were being a strength to each other. When Jesus came into the middle of them, and he gave them peace twice. He gave them, he gave them a mission. He said, I'm going to send you. And he gave them a promise of the Holy Ghost. But the one that was not there with them refused to believe the story. It was the ultimate you-had-to-be-there situation. They, he just could not understand or could not believe. You see, when you are not with the children of God, you can hear about what God is doing in the church, but that doesn't mean that you're going to believe it. You haven't experienced it. You, you are in danger. You, uh, 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 you're going to lack faith. You're going to not be able to have faith to believe in God and in what He wants to do because you've separated yourself. When you leave the church, you won't be able to stand. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 is a very well-known portion of Scripture. And it's talking about spiritual battles and putting on yourself what you need to actually be able to stand with God to be able to walk with God, to be able to fight against the enemy. And it looks like it's all a personal thing. You put them all on and you stand. Let's read it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So far, so good. Looks like it's all personal. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's all personal stuff. It's all stuff that we need to do. It's all stuff that is very necessary. But then what does the next verse say? There's no break. It continues on. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How are you going to be able to watch with all perseverance and supplication for all saints when you have no contact with the saints? There's an important part of being strong in the Lord and the power of His might that does not rely on what you do yourself. It's about being with the saints. It's about knowing about their troubles, their trials, and it's about praying for them. It's about lifting them up in the Lord. We all need the prayers of the saints. And when you separate yourself, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who needs help. You don't know anything. You actually are taking yourself away from the ability to be a blessing to others in the church. You won't be able to stand. You will fall. You won't be able... You've got no um, spiritual food coming into you from the preaching of the Word, from the ministry of the Word that will change your direction when you think you're going in the right way and you're not. 
well, will help you to understand where you really are at. God can talk directly into your life, but you're not going to find that out on your own. He talks about the wiles, the trickery of the devil. When you're out there, you've only got one voice <laughs> that's talking to you, and that's the voice of the world, the voice of Satan. That's the one that's going to get into your head and take you further and further away from God. You cannot do it on your own. But when you stay in the church, God gives promises and then fulfills them. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, Jesus promised that those gathered together, to, to those gathered together, He would send the Holy Ghost. And then He fulfilled it to those that stayed assembled together when the time came. When you stay in the church, God gives power and boldness in times of persecution. In Acts chapter 4, the chief priests and the elders threatened the apostles with death. Their response was to gather together, was to pray. And the, the, the Spirit of the Lord powerfully shook the church. And when they prayed together and gave them a supernatural boldness that they could not have had without being together. It says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. When you stay in the church, God performs miracles before your eyes. You see, Herod killed James, and then he arrested Peter. God powerfully set Peter free, opened up the gates of the prison and let him walk through the streets. He didn't even realize what had happened. He thought it was a vision. He thought it was a dream. He didn't realize what God had done. And the Bible says that when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. They were praying for Peter. They were praying that God would set him free. They were praying that God would help in the situation that he would not be able to kill Peter like he had killed James. There's something powerful that God does when we are gathered together and when we are praying together. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Those two statements are not separate. They're joined. Something happens when God's people meet together. Something happens when God's people are in one mind and in one accord. And then just after that it says, many people is added to the church. When you stay in the church, God will hear and answer prayers that are in line with His will. Matthew 18 and 18 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the middle of them. doesn't happen when you're on your own. But when you come together with God's people, things happen. God starts to move. God answers prayer. When you stay in the church, your brothers and your sisters will help you to stand. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation or your way of living be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I am come to see you or else be absent, this is Paul speaking, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. It's not because it's one person, but it's because it's the church standing together, all together with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. We find encouragement. We find the ability to stand when things aren't going our way, when everything seems to be going against us. We can stand because we have the strength of our brothers and our sisters. First Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who are of the day and sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that 
Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. He was commending the church for the fact that they were lifting each other up. They were going through some horrible trials. They were going through some persecutions, but they were together. They were helping each other. They were lifting each other up. 1 Corinthians 14 and 26 says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done unto edifying. When you come into the church, you can receive what you need from any part of the service, from any talking to any individual, from any song. God can use someone to speak directly into your life exactly what you need to get you through the rest of the week. But you don't get that when you separate yourself. This brings us to the second type of people that are most at risk in the church. Those people are those that still come to church, but they are withdrawn in their spirit. They're there, but they're not really there. Seems like a paradox. They're in the building, but they're not really there. They're not really here. You see, you could have past hurts that you find difficult to forgive, and so you continue to withdraw within yourself. You're here. You put on a good face, but you're not really here. You could be annoyed that things aren't being managed how you think they should be managed. So you continue to withdraw. You could have let small niggles build up over time and get to you. So you continue to withdraw. All of these things come under the category of bitterness. And the Bible has a few things to say about this. Hebrews 12 and 11. This is talking about not being bitter when God chastises you, chastens you, tells you that you're going in the wrong direction. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyful, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Those that take it to heart, those that allow God to do what he wants to do. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. You see, when God talks to us about something, we have a couple of different choices. We can take it to heart. We can say, God, that's me. I know that you're talking to me. And you let God start to deal with you. Or you can harden your heart and start to get bitter. And then it continues, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, looking out for your brothers and sisters, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness has a way of spreading. It doesn't ever stay with the person where it begins. And it affects other people. See, it's really easy to criticize the way that things are being run. It's really, really easy. And also really carnal at the same time. Think about the fans of any sport. Everybody has an opinion on the selection of players, the strategies used, the reasons why the team won, and especially if they lost or if they drew, or continually lose or draw. People have their own opinions and say, well, that was a stupid decision. Why, did they, why on earth did they do that? They caused them to lose the game by doing that. And most of all, if not, and most of the time, if not all of the time, all of the blame goes back to the manager or to the coach. Everybody thinks that they could have done a better job if they were manager, that they wouldn't have made the same mistakes, that they wouldn't make the same mistakes if they were in charge. 
bit of pride, a bit of arrogance in that way of thinking. The reality is that those fans would make a whole new set of mistakes if they were in charge. And probably much worse than the actual manager did. Why? Because the fans are only looking at a very small part of the whole picture. They only see what's happening on game day. They don't see what happens through the week. They don't see the background. They don't see the things that are going on under the surface. You see, there are a lot of things that go under the, on under the surface in sporting clubs, and most of them are hidden from public view. There are disputes and rivalries between players. There are issues with club owners sticking their noses where they shouldn't. There are people doing the wrong thing that need to be disciplined to keep team morale. There are reasons why the coaches and the managers have made those choices which may not be obvious to those outside of the organization or to those that only go and follow the matches. In some cases, they've been forced to make those choices through no fault of their own. But that doesn't stop every person on the street from having their own view and criticizing the coach or the manager. Particularly in Australia and in New Zealand, there is a culture of criticism of leadership and the desire to cut the tall poppy down. It's been built up over many generations and involves mocking people who think highly of themselves and criticizing people who stand out from the crowd. This is easily translated to continual criticism of everything that Australian leaders do, especially those in high positions of government or company leadership. And if you've got the wrong way of thinking, it can easily be translated to the church and the church leadership as well. But there's one major difference between church leadership and the leadership of governments and companies in this world. God specifically sets up the leaders in the church. There's no mistakes. It's all by design. Far more so than he does with government leadership. God influences the leadership of governments. The Bible says that God sets leaders in place, but this is his church. He orchestrates everything within his church. God has organized things in the church how he wants them to be managed. And we may not always agree with how things are being managed. If you have an issue with how things are running in any section, department, over the entire church, please note that God didn't ask you how you think things should be managed. He didn't seek your counsel because if he did, he wouldn't have liked what you had to say. Because if you have a problem with the way things are running in the church, with the way things have been set up, with the way that things are being handled, then the problem is with you. The problem is not with the leader and it's not with God. You see, the leader has been placed there by God, not by man. And the leader regularly seeks the counsel of God. And the leader hears from God. And the leader follows God in the best way that they can, the best way that they know how. So if you have a problem with a leader or a plan or anything else, you are thinking carnally and not spiritually. And you can't see past your own selfishness, your own stubbornness, and your own pride. And if you start to tell other people about the faults and the failures of the leader, or even about how you think things should be run, then you are sowing discord and working to undermine what God wants to do. not working, you're not just working to undermine the leader, you're working to actually do You see, God set up the leader in the first place, and God is working with the leader to do his own will, God's own will, 
So any criticism is a criticism of God himself. Are people perfect? The answer is no. Do people, even leaders, even leaders in the church get things wrong sometimes? The answer is yes and yes. But that doesn't give us the right to talk them down or to undermine their authority. That kind of behavior answers to God. If you really think that a leader has got it wrong, even terribly wrong, there are three things that you must do to keep your salvation because anything else puts you in a really dangerous place. Number one, and the one that most people get wrong, which makes the other two worthless, you need to keep the right attitude. Anything else that you try to do without a right attitude is going to come to nothing. Number two, pray desperately hard for the leader. Because if you're right, they're going to need all the help and direction from the Lord that they can get. And the third one is to be open to God's voice. Because it might be you that needs to change and not the leader. The book of James talks about people and their tongue. And how much damage it can cause. James chapter 3 and verse 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters or teachers or instructors, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. But we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, wherever the governor wants to go. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. If you use your tongue to talk against church leadership you're kindling a fire that's not going to be able to be controlled and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity when it's not submitted to God so is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind by the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. You see, when we don't rein in our tongues, when we don't rein in what we say to others, no, nobody's going to control you. Nobody's going to be able to stop you because only you have the power to hold back your tongue. Therewith, blessed be God, even the Father. We give praise to God, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Your praise, your worship will mean nothing if you're talking against the leadership or the people in the church. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of his good conversation or way of living his works with meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is keeping your mouth shut when you don't agree. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Don't start speaking if you've got bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Don't think that you're going to be able to set things straight. You're not coming at it from the right perspective, from the right attitude. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the 
Wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When you backbite, when you talk people down, there is no peace. Ephesians 4 and 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And it goes through what that is in just a couple of verses. But that which is good to the use of edifying, lifting up, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Here we go. These are the corrupt communication. Little bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And that extends to how we feel about our brothers and our sisters in the church too, not just about church leadership. Do we feel like we're better than other people in the church? Do we feel like we're smarter or we're more spiritual? Or we're following God better. Or we're not doing as bad as someone else. Or even criticizing others for their faults. Or do we feel like we're better than one other person in the church in particular? Maybe there's someone in the church who really annoys you and you wish that they would just leave. For a period of time, I mean, I, I travel on the bus to work every day, and for a period of time, I happened to go on the bus at the same time that a particular lady came onto the bus. She, I mean, this is early enough in the morning, but um, she was loud. She was laughing and 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 uh, and talking to the driver and and she just seemed to me to be really annoying and obnoxious and I was always glad when she went off at a particular stop when I got you know a little bit more peace and quiet on the bus when when that but you know it, and and every time it's like oh here she is again yep she she's on the bus but. There was one particular day, and I think it was probably the last last day that, it, that I ever saw her. She came onto the bus, and she met someone that she obviously knew, and just without really really overhearing much, it was obviously something really terrible that happened to her. And what she did actually affected her. She sat down with her. She wrapped her arm around talking with her with deep care and compassion and concern she was helping her in her time and her hour of need and God made me realize that everybody is valuable that everybody is worthwhile that everybody has something to offer some strength something that can be used to help to lift up. Might have seemed loud and obnoxious, but God has put something into everybody. And there was a man at work who I had the misfortune of being in a meeting that he chaired. He was trying to get into upper leadership at the time. He was dressing the part. His manner was that of knowing it all, of, of do this, do that. Um, his way was the way to do it and the best way and, and not really listening. Well, didn't seem to be listening, but knew the best for everybody in that meeting. I came away not liking And a few years later, 
I started working with this man. And I discovered that he had a lot to offer. Yes, everybody has flaws, tries to do something. But his ability to reach a human need, his ability to change um, change direction and and to to be able, um, and, and to not just and to know when to push, to know when to to hold back in, in meetings and, and his ability to manage people and everything, it, it's incredible what this man is able to do. Simply, if I had simply gone on first appearances, I would have had that opinion of him continually, but everyone has strengths. God has made us with particular powerful strengths. Everybody has value. God has taught that to me. Even the person who annoys you most in the church is usually nice. If you go to the wind, there's, there's more than one. But the person that annoys you most in the church are the ones that are going to have powerful strengths in areas that you couldn't even imagine. You just haven't seen them happen. You haven't given them a chance. First Corinthians 12 and 12 talks about the body, about what God has set up in the church. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body. Being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one body, sorry, for what, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. We're all the same. We've all been called out of sin. We've all been called into one body. In the same way, there's, there's no difference between us. For the body is not one member, but many. Not one person makes up the body, but everybody makes up the body. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye... Where were the hands? How are we going to hear if everybody's an eye? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where's the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. We're all meant to work together. We're all meant to use our differences to chip off our rough edges, but also to work together as a whole unit. Not everybody is an eye, but we need the eyes. Not everybody is a foot, but we need the feet. We're not going anywhere without the feet. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble unnecessary. Or you could read, much more those members of the body which seem to be the most annoying are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon whom, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. That annoying person is the one that needs to be in the church. They are going to be able to build up the church in ways you may not have thought possible. That there should be no schism. There should be no split. There should be no people going off to their own groups and, 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 and saying, I'm not going to fellowship with these others that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now 
You are the body of Christ. Your members in particular. We're all here because God has placed us here. If I could get someone to the piano, please. There are two different types of people who are most at risk at the church. Those that are deceived into thinking they can leave the church and still be okay. Those that think they, they can run from their problems and their situations without letting God deal with them and the situation. Those who are here but they're not really here. Those who are withdrawn. Those who have allowed hurts. Who have allowed ways in which they, they think to have stolen their joy to have stolen their ability to worship that have stolen their ability to have a relationship with Jesus God has not called us to that God has called us to peace God has called us to forgiveness God has called us to look past what we see are faults and flaws which are probably not really faults and flaws. You see, when God sets up leaders in the church, we don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes. We don't know all of the reasons why decisions have been made. But God does. And God is directing and guiding the leader. We may think that we can do a better job. And you'd be wrong. Because you'd be doing it in your own strength. And without God on your side. You see, if we think a leader may not be strict enough. They let too much go. If God made you leader, then that could cause untold untold damage in the body of Christ. It could cause people to leave. We need to have the gentle hand of God guiding us, guiding us leading us, moving us closer to God takes care of situations in the church. God takes care of any problems in leadership. God gives more grace. God sets things in order. God helps to patch up our faults and our flaws because everybody has faults and flaws in many different areas. If you could stand... If you know that God has talked to you in this message, then I invite you to come and talk to Him.